Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. We are here and ready to go this week with our full panel. Uh, before we get started to talk about, we have two games to talk about, which are the last games we might talk about for a while. Uh, but before we get started, please don't forget to follow us at our Twitter feed, at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. And leave us a five-star review on iTunes because tis the season. It is, uh, we have been very good boys, and I think we deserve some five-star reviews under the tree or uh, next to the menorah. Ben, I don't know where presents are in relation to the menorah. Where, where are they? Uh, that's a very good question. It's kind of variable by household. Some of you may have a, a Hanukkah bush <laughs> as you try and replicate that Christmas spirit. Some of you may just put it on like a, on a table somewhere out of the way, and you know, it's very to each their own. Well, we deserve five-star reviews regardless of what faith you, you follow or what holidays you celebrate this time of year. So please leave us one. Uh, now, to introduce our panel, uh, we'll start with Ben since he's already, uh, you know, giving the Gentiles a lecture. Uh, ben, uh, ha- welcome to the podcast. How are you doing this week as we enter this festive holiday season? Well, Greg, uh, my festive holiday season is already over. Hanukkah oh, has sorry. Ended. I, I am truly an awful Spurs uh, podcast host for not knowing that off the top of my head. But uh, yeah, it was very festive and uh, very nice. Thanks for asking. No problem. No problem. Uh, Brian, uh, how are you going to quarantine during this festive holiday period? Um, how am I going to quarantine? Um, you know, by presumably not watching any Spurs matches. Um, Don't want to take the risk. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe the maybe I'll play some football manager. You know, I do love I do love some FM. I feel like if I was if I was more on the ball, I'd find I'd find uh, something to do with that acronym. But yeah, I'm really but... not. Uh, I had to go into the actual physical office today, so I'm pretty tired. Uh, yeah, so we have two games to talk about this week. We have a two nil victory over Brentford and a two three nil victory over uh, Norwich yeah really on top of the ball today guys sorry uh, let's start with the Norwich victory I, I I was pretty pleased with this in that you know I don't think Spurs were at their best and I was able to sort of like comfortably enjoy this match watching it and you know I don't know when we're going to get out of the point where I'm just grateful for anything any scraps thrown our way but after the last two years, I'll I'll take it. I mean, it was just you know I, I'm enjoying watching Tottenham again, and this I mean the Brentford match was a much better match to watch in terms of Tottenham's performance, but I thought this was just like we weren't at our best, and I still enjoyed it and wasn't getting mad, and you know it's such a change a pleasant change of pace for Tottenham Hotspur. Well, both of the matches really had early goals. Which made the watching experience yes. much better. I mean, that didn't help Jose Mourinho's tenure at Tottenham Hotspur. That, so. That's true, uh, but you know, scoring in the you know whatever the eleventh, the ninth minute or tenth minute for in against Norwich, and then like the twelfth against Brentford, like that makes watching it a little easier. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I thought the Norwich match was fun. I mean, Lucas's goal was really cool. Um, the sun goal was, uh, or the, the Davinson goal was really nice. Um, you know, I don't know. It's, uh, it's nice to see some of Conte's plans coming to fruition and seeing some attacking moves that like you can tell are actually drilled, even when we don't have most of the possession, like for whatever reason, Norwich had more of the ball than we did. Um, but we still had some really, really nice moves. It was, it was a fun watch. Ben, I think you are obligated to praise Lucas Moore right now. Yeah, I mean, that goal was absolutely fantastic. Um, the little, 
you know, pass to himself around the defender in the buildup before, you know, a, a wall pass with, was it Sun? Um, yeah, yeah. En route to just, like, blasting one from long distance was was fantastic. Um, I think we don't get a lot of long-range Lucas goals. It's usually weird headers because he's a very good jumper for such a little fellow or just, like, popping up in the box. But, like, this was a, a rocket. I... Yeah, I mean, like, this is the version of Lucas Mora that I was, like, excited about when we signed him. And, like, he's too dumb to be that guy all the time, I think. But, you know, if Conte can make him this guy, I will be very excited. Um, Other than the fascism, you know, Lucas Mora could be a very exciting player. And sometimes Lucas Mora is a very exciting player, often enough. I mean, you know, that, that night in Amsterdam buys you a lot of credit as far as how exciting he is. But he's, I don't know, do you? We, I've joked a lot on this podcast about, you know, like we could hire Pep Guardiola and Lucas would still be in our starting lineup. But I, I think some of this is match fitness and he is like sort of up for, you know, being able to play a Conte system in terms of at least fitness, if not if nothing else right now. But do you see like, do you see Conte as getting more out of him than previous managers have? Or do you think he's just having a nice little run of form? Yeah, I mean, I think it mostly is going to depend on Lucas here. I don't know how how coachable he is. I don't like we really haven't seen him like really be disciplined into a re- regular, consistent performer. Um, you know, he seems to be very, very hot and cold. Um, I, I I really have no idea what he like talent wise. Like you can always see that it's there, and it's almost always like on the verge of happening. And when it doesn't, it's like the most maddening thing in the world. Um, you know, it's possible that Conte is finally the guy to put it together for it. But, you know, he's like pushing 30. He's had a lot of coaches over the years. I would be very surprised if like he becomes more than just like the occasional contributor who does some nice things every now and again. But I'm ready to be surprised. Well, you got to think, though. I mean, he's had, you got to be generous to Lucas in this regard. I mean, he's had to deal with, like, Jose Mourinho, Ryan Mason, and, you know, that awful manager who's got PSG playing in the mud right now. So, I mean, has he really had anyone who's really been able to get him firing at Spurs? I mean, yes. But, I mean, (laughs) even before Spurs, like, at PSG, his tenure was such that he was sold to Spurs in the first place. And, like, Pochettino didn't really get a ton out of Lucas Mora. Other than, you know, <laughs> other than those couple times that he got something out of them, but yeah, I yeah. know what you mean. Uh, Brian, what is like? We're talking about these two matches. I guess we're really focused on Norwich right now. But like, looking at the Norwich match in particular, where matches where we weren't firing on all cylinders, what what do you think is sort of the biggest difference with Conte compared to what we were doing under Nuno? Like, I mean. Well, I think it's definitely the existence of, like, a plan. Like, (laughs) and I don't mean that to, like, be, uh, like, exceptionally rude to to Nuno. No, no, you could be exceptionally rude to Nuno. I I think we've got enough enough Spurs podcasts talking about what a dignified man he is. I think it's time that somebody's a little rude to him when you look at how utterly unprepared the squad was for a real manager. But yeah, I, I think under, especially under Mourinho and also, and again under Nuno, there just wasn't a plan for getting the ball from, you know, the back to the front. And other than under Mourinho, it seemed to be kick it long um, and see if Sun can run onto it or if Harry Kane can, uh, you know, grab it in midfield and then spray it long over the top again. And, and here it looks very much like um we know what we're doing um you know the, the some of the attacking moves just look well drilled um you know even ones that didn't result in a goal i mean kane had some good chances um he created the one uh in the brentford match um but just like just the patterns of play, the movement, you know, uh, Ben Davies underlapping on the left. Like, there's there's a clear philosophical and tactical plan in place. And even after, you know, a month and a half, we are already beginning to implement it. And it's just nice to be able to look at this team and go, 
oh, yeah, it makes sense that this guy is doing this and this guy is moving here and then we're going to make this pass and he's going to make that run and somebody's there. It's just nice that that you can look at it and you go, yep, objectively, all the things that just happened made sense. You mentioned attacking plan, and I think that's the thing that's like stood out to me is that he's just like... Ex- He's looking at players and understanding what they do well and finding ways to utilize them. And like, like Ben Davies is a great example of this. Like, I, everyone thinks that guy. Every Spurs fan I can think of would have thought that guy was cooked at the beginning of the season. And what's he still doing on our roster? And he's been very good as a, as a left sided center back in a back three. I mean, doing these, you know, runs up field, being very effective in our attack. And admittedly, some of this is against lesser opposition. So like. We'll see what happens when we play Liverpool. But, you know, Eric Dyer, like, looks like a real center back again because he's playing at the sort of, like, central hub of a, of a back three. It's I'm, I'm genuinely amazed at what he's getting out of this team in such a short amount of time with no preparation. And that he is, you know, accentuating the positives and minimizing the negatives for some of these players. And it, it is, you know, after Nuno, who seemingly had no idea what he was doing, and Mourinho, who definitely had no idea what he's doing, and Ryan Mason, who, like, we will forgive him for having no idea what he's doing, except for Brian. Brian won't forgive him for that. It's just, yeah. it's a real breath of fresh air. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things we talked about with Conte before he came in was that one of his chief attributes as a manager was being very good at recognizing what players are good at and how to put them in a position as a team that makes sense. You know, we saw Jose Mourinho have ideas about how to play football that were very antithetical to a lot of players. And we had a lot of square pegs and round holes, a lot of guys who didn't seem to understand what the job was and didn't really thrive uh, under under that system. Um, and Nuno, I, I mean, I don't even know what his system was, uh, you know, but it did seem to rely a lot on give Lucas Moore the ball and let him run. And it's telling that, like, one of the key players for Nuno has looked better now with with a different coach. You know, not the coach who said, you're going to be the guy to carry the ball. It's the coach who says, that's not what you should be doing. You should be doing other things. <laughs> you know, you're not the prime driver of ball progression. You are a guy who is there to run with the ball sometimes and, and combine with your overlapping fullback and combine with Harry Kane and combine with the sun. You know, the thing that I think we've seen is like a couple of guys like Ben Davis is a great example. He's a guy who is perennially misunderstood as by virtue of being this slow white guy, people just think, Oh, he's a defense first fullback. When the reality is, is Ben Davis is a guy who, uh, you know, not too many seasons ago, was like our early assist leader over Christian Eriksen, you know, because he is a very good passer and very good at combining in and around the box. He is just by virtue of being slow, not really capable of playing that kind of modern fullback role that gets up and down the pitch and combines an attack and is able to then cover back on defense. And Conte seems to have very quickly realized how to leverage those strengths of letting Ben Davis get involved in the attack and come on the inside and pass and play through balls and, you know, combine with the attacking front line and then cover for his slow recovery speed with the back three, with Skip and Hoybjerg in midfield, um, you know, with the overlapping pullback if, if necessary to make sure that Ben Davis doing those things doesn't expose the entire back line. And it's like, it didn't take that long to realize this is what this guy's good at. This is how you put him in a system that leverages his strengths and protects his weaknesses. And it's just such a breath of fresh air. You know, I mean, we see guys like Skip, who we saw at Norwich last year, be very good on the ball, not just as a defensive midfielder. But under Nuno, he was basically a net negative in possession, um, who did some good defensive things. And now he's marauding around the pitch and, you know, playing through balls to guys and, like, doing all kinds of crazy shit that, like, he had it in his locker. Where was it? Um, and that's really what's been r- remarkable for me about the early Conte era. Well, and the thing with Davies especially is, is like, this is a role 
um, at least positionally, that we knew he could play. He played in the position for Wales. You know, they've made deep runs into international tournaments with Ben Davis playing that position. And stylistically, it's slightly different in Conte's system. But, like, I think we'd all talked about him as being, you know, a left-sided center back in a back three on numerous occasions. And it just had never worked out for Spurs quite as well as it's working out right now. And one of the things that I really like about the system that we're, we're using now is it gives those wide center backs so much license to push forward, to step into midfield, to even come into the attacking third. I mean, Ben Davis against Norwich creates that third goal by stepping all the way forward and running into the box in the 77th minute when we're up 2-0. Like, that's not a position that center backs are were getting into uh, under under Nuno, under Jose, like they were back at their own 18 yard box. They weren't they weren't getting involved in attacks. And obviously, you know, playing back four versus back three um, messes with that. But but they are given, you know, Davinson or Romero or or Davis. They're given so much license and and Romero specifically and, and also Davis because they are both good on the ball, because they are. Uh, capable passers um it's allowing us to play that skip hoybeard midfield and not have it be totally deficient in terms of ball movement and and ben's right like skip is trying to be more progressive hoybeard is being more progressive but it's still not you know a midfield with tangi and Dombele or Gio Lo Celso or whatever but it's working well, I and think, I think that's all I want. Like, I, think he I, I want our for, good players to play, but I want it to work more than that. I think he deserves credit for making this work in such a way. And we don't know. I mean, we've been sort of reliably informed, and you can look at his history, that what we're seeing now might not necessarily be what we're seeing in two months. But, like, I agree with what you said about Ben Davies, Brian, but, like, we all thought that dude was past it. You know, I think we all thought this guy was, like, not – fast or young enough to do what he's doing right now. And again, like we'll see how it looks against the Liverpool, maybe not Liverpool, that might not be fair to him, but you know, like a better team than Brentford or, um, or Norwich or even Leeds, but those are also teams, at least Brentford and Leeds that have some physicality about them and, or at least some, you know, mobility. If I don't, I don't know what the word I'm looking for here is, but you know, and he's acquitted himself fairly well. And I think Conte deserves an enormous amount of credit for not just writing him, which is something I felt like Mourinho kind of did. Or at least didn't have the creativity to use him in a way that was functional. But Skip, I think, you know, you look at these two games, Skip was really good. And I think, Ben, you made a good point. Not only is Conte using him in the way he was closer to the way he was being used at Norwich, but I think he's pushing him. And I think something that I think we probably didn't make enough of an accounting for when we were talking about Skip early in the year is it's not just, is he a Premier League level player? Is he going to develop this year? It's also like, what's going to happen when he gets good coaching? And I think we kind of wrote that off since we had Nuno. And now you're seeing what happens. You have this developing player who had a really good year in the championship who, for whatever reason, Spurs as a team is very high on. For you know, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that's a negative. I'm just saying they are. And now you've got a world-class manager sort of teaching him how to play. And you could, I thought in the Norwich game in particular, he really started getting on the ball and making like, I mean, he made one one very deep run up the pitch that didn't quite work out, but he was really breaking through their lines, and it's been very impressive to watch. And I think at first we were all frustrated, Brian, like you were saying, that he was sort of persisting with his midfield. And, you know, I don't know if Conte's just trying to play it on hard mode by not – I know Lo Celso's been hurt by not using Lo Celso or Ndombele, but, you know – like you said, if, if he's going to make it work by just leveling up Hoiberg and Skip, well, like, God bless. I think there's probably easier ways to do it, my guy. But, you know, if you could make that happen, like, whatever you got to do, it's just been, it's just been, we have a plan. It's coherent. You can see players responding to it. It's so, it's so nice to watch. It feels like so long since we've seen this team have a, either, either a coherent or a good idea of what to do. Well, and the thing with Skip is, is that, Conte seems to be 
pretty impressed with him. Uh, he seems to he speaks well about him. He he seems to like his skill set, and he seems to. If what's interesting is he's talking in the press about the same things that we're saying here that he needs to get better on the ball, that he needs to use the ball better when when we're in possession. Um, it and I have no doubt that that like you said, Greg, with with good coaching, which he should be getting now. Um, that we'll see that improvement. I mean, he he's the type of sort of busy midfielder that Conte really likes. And and you know, I'm I'm not saying he's going to be you know Nicola Barella or you know somebody of of that level of quality. But you know, I think he's going to be you know with a couple years of good coaching, he's going to be a top half of the Premier League level midfielder uh you know i guess he's maybe already that now um but you know he's going to not be out of place um in a side like spurs a team that's competing for the champions league um i don't know i i'm i'm excited i i I think that's the big thing is the excitement from the hire has continued into the matches like we haven't been let down too much yet um, I know we're going to get on to kind of what's going on at the club this week. And, you know, that that has kind of put a damper on things. But, like, the performances have, for the most part, matched kind of what our expectations were. Yeah, I think, you know, there's... <laughs> Definitely not to, muted right there. Yeah, just keep going, everybody. friend. Keep going. Um, I, I, I was going to just like, play it off, but I realized that was doing Brian a disservice <laughs> by not calling Greg out. Um, yeah, I think, you know, there's other guys like 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 Regulon, who even more than Davis and Skip was a guy who was really good, came to Spurs and then gradually got worse and worse. And suddenly Conte's here and it's like a, a, a switch got flipped. And like suddenly he looks like a guy who knows how to play football again. And, you know, yes, I still dream on Ndombele and Los Celso and all the other guys, you know, that we haven't gotten to see the best of, Bergvine, whoever, um, finally returning to a form that, like, prompted us to buy them in the first place. Um, but, like you guys said, even if we don't get those guys, you know, we've got something that works. My big concern, I guess, is... You know, uh, Emerson Royale was out with COVID, unbeknownst to us last week, but as it turns out, has COVID. And, you know, Regulon got hurt. Um, the last time we did our our show after the Murrah match, you know, we seemed to acknowledge Conte's frustration with with the rest of the squad. You know, he'd had these 11 guys that he seems to like. And everybody else, he seemed a little down on after that loss. Um, and Tanganga came in at, at right wing back and was easily the worst player on the pitch against Norwich. Um, you know, he was still hot headed, making crazy tackles, wasn't giving you a lot in possession. And I do worry, um, you know, about like the rest of the 25 man squad. And if that's good enough, and if Conte is capable of turning that around, but the early signs with the players he likes, at least, is good enough that I guess I'm hopeful. The flip side of that, though, Ben, is Sessegnon came on to deputize for Regulon, who I thought he looked great. Or maybe not great, but he certainly, like, acquitted himself well. And I think before he got sent off in the Murrah match, like, he is someone that I think Conte was saying nice things about in the uh in his press and i think harry kane after the murrah match went out of his way to sort of say nice things about sessignon in the media i don't think that's a coincidence either you know i think you're starting to see i I mean we've seen these reporters talk about like you're gonna see changes eventually he's making do with what he had what he needs to function right now i think I, i i am becoming less worried over time about you know, maybe some of these guys who's just going to think, you know, Delhi isn't good enough or whatever, Who, whoever. I don't mean to pick on Delhi there, but, you know, maybe he's just going to arrive at that conclusion with some of these guys. But I do think he's not going to needlessly throw players away if if he doesn't think they're going to fit. If, if 
Ndombele doesn't make the team, I don't think it's going to be because of some weird agenda. I don't even think it'll be because he's a bad player necessarily. It's going to be because Conte's like, I can't make this guy do the things I need a midfielder to do, which, you know, I think is unfortunate. But, like, if Conte doesn't think he can do those things, I think it'll be out of a genuine belief and not some weird agenda. And I think that's going to be true for the entire squad, which is, it shows you how painful the last couple of years have been, but that's where we are. And I think, I think the other aspect of, of Conte's tenure um, is an attention to fitness. You know, we've seen a lot of stories recently about how just completely neglectful of, of fitness Jose Mourinho was and what a complete dinosaur he was in terms of making sure the players were at peak fitness. You know, after the Pochettino era where everybody was running a million miles a game, um, Jose Mourinho seemed to ha- have apparently taken the approach where you guys are professional athletes, you should just be fit, and I'm not going to micromanage fitness training. And it showed. You know, we weren't able to run a coordinated press. The guys didn't look capable of competing late in the game. Um, and that trend continued under Nuno. We did not have the fitness levels to compete at the level that we wanted to. Um, and it's something that Conte has spoken about and identified as a real problem with the squad. And I think it's probably not a coincidence that the most fit players on the team are the guys who had gotten regular runouts over the last couple of years, because at the very least they're playing regular matches and that 90 minutes of running around is better for your fitness than not doing that. Um, and I think we've already seen some early signs of improved fitness um, and being able to hang with teams. You know, the, the Leeds match, very like his second game in charge, you know, we were able to conserve our energy appropriately to unleash, you know, a, a fitter team against one of the one of the fittest teams in the league um, down the stretch. And you know, I think that is going to be a big, big boost to the squad both in terms of the first team and in terms of finally getting more out of the rest of the squad as they get up to fitness and as they get up to, you know, being capable of, of, of playing, you know, at the level that he needs them to. Hopefully Conte will survive his clash with big catch up and is, uh, you know, vindicated for his approach to fitness. It is crazy. I remember when Mason took over, the players sort of were like, in the press universally praising having to work hard in training sessions again. And then Nuno just didn't do that. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how this COVID break affects all that, which we'll get into in a little bit. But I thought the Brentford match was another match that, I mean, speaking of fitness, Ben, like I was kind of blown away by just like, I mean, I know Brentford's not Leeds, but they're a pretty, you know, fit, smart tactical team. They took it to Arsenal earlier this year. They've beaten some, they've, they've had some relatively decent scouts. We just, we beat the brakes off of them. I, I felt, I thought 2-0 was a deep, not deeply. I thought it was, did not reflect the level of dominance we showed in that game. I mean, I just thought we were all over them and it was a very impressive showing. And, you know, you just got to wonder what, I mean, God, we're, if, if you throw the Burnley, if you assume we get three points off of Burnley, we're in the top four, which is insane to think about given how this year had started to go. I mean, I, I, I'm, I, I'm very excited for what we're getting under Conte. It's all the signs are trending upwards. If we just see him start to rotate the squad a little more, it's hard to find anything to complain about. It isn't COVID. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, it's, it's dramatic how quickly he's turned things around. We took 15 points from our first 10 games and we've taken 10 from our next four. And, you know, obviously there's like quality of opposition is a component of that, but, I mean, we've been surging up the table under under him. And, you know, you kind of have to wonder what might have happened had we made that change sooner. And also, it makes me look backwards and think, boy, if we had fired Jose for a real coach when there was still time to make a difference on the squad, where could we be today? Or even just um, what if we'd it, managed to get Conte in the summer? Right. Yeah, I mean, that I think we would be unquestionably – ensconced in the top four i mean we're only a game at hand out as it is so yeah it's, it's frustrating you know like i'm glad to see that we were finally decisive 
in making this change when there was still time to recover because I mean we sure have and you know as long as Conte is infecting the team with COVID to time shift our schedule so we can play more games later in the season you know everyone talks about Mourinho playing four-dimensional chess but no Baldo Antonio Conte has it has it all figured out yeah I I mean I don't want to get into the 4D chess aspect of it but you know uh the the Brentford match was it it had the potential to be an actual difficult match for us. I think we all expected it to be difficult. I don't know about you guys. I certainly did. All the chatter I saw online thought like Spurs were going to have a difficult one. I mean, certainly, you know, of the teams we have played in Conte's reign so far, they seem to be the club that has played the best against the big clubs so far this year. And Um, Arsenal. Yes, big clubs and Arsenal. Um, so, So, I thought it would be interesting. I thought, you know, Tony and some of their other players presented an interesting challenge for um, our squad and how we would deal with them. And then we basically allowed them to do nothing. I think they had less than half an expected goal in that game. Um, Maybe like two or three shots. And then like the only really worrying play is the one where uh, there's that header at the near post that Lloris kind of flips up off his boot to himself. And, uh, you know, and, and again, we scored early off the off Ben Davis get doing a like basically wrestling some other guy in the box and having it go off of his head uh, into the goal. And, you know, then Sun gets a, a late, you know, extra goal. And I don't know. I, I, I think. Those are the kind of games you have to win. I think we talked about when Conte came in, like this was a good time for him to come in. You had the international breaks. You had this run of matches that were all eminently winnable that would give you a chance to implement his style, to get the players playing his way while the stakes were lower. And he's done exactly that. Like you said, four matches, 10 points, and we talked so much in the Jose Mourinho seasons about building momentum and, and creating these runs of of good form of, of good results. And we just never, ever really managed to do that. We get one or two and then we'd have like some boring nil nil, or we'd have one where we'd concede a goal in the 85th minute and it was demoralizing. And it's just like, that's not what we're having under Conte. We're having actual sustained success and if you look at the fixtures like if these matches go forward there's a reasonable chance that that can continue to happen i mean brighton are better Leicester are better liverpool are certainly (laughs) the one of the best teams in in europe if not you know just the premier league um and west ham are good so i mean we we have some difficult fixtures now but by performing well in these last few matches, we've set ourselves up so that we have momentum. And then if we don't really play all that well in these next four matches, or it's okay. at all. <laughs> yeah, or, or if we don't play at all, and we have like six games in hand by the end of the season. Who knows? Um, I think we're going to have to talk about the elephant in the room in a minute, but I think the other, other elephant in the room that I think is worth discussing from these last few games is Harry Kane, uh, not getting on the score sheet under Conte, at least certainly not outside of the European Conference League for the most part. I, I think the criticism, it's funny, I'll talk to my dad after, like the day after a game, and he'll just be like, man, Harry Kane, is he even trying anymore? Is he even showing up? Like, and it's, I don't know, I think Kane has been better. I think he's still in, like, sort of shaking off some rust or getting used to being used in an actual attack again, but... I mean, I think you can see the investment both on and off the pitch in a way you did. Like, Spurs are using him for interviews again, which was not happening earlier in the year. But more importantly, I think you can see him sort of getting about and creating chances. Now he's missed some stuff that you kind of expect Harry Kane to put away. And I think you can see some growing pains in how he's being used because Kane isn't just as mobile as he used to be. So I think they're still figuring out 
how to get the best out of him, but I do think he's contributed way more under Conte than he was before. I think you're seeing some real production under him, if not on the you know score sheet. You're seeing it. You know, he's creating passes. He's getting he's getting shots in again, which is not something he was doing before. I don't know, Ben. I mean, do you think Kane is? Are, do you think there's been an improvement under Conte? I think he definitely looks re-energized. I mean, he had five shots against Norwich. He had two shots against Brentford. Um, you know, he's doing his spray the ball around routine that we saw more of under Jose and became kind of a, a new hallmark of his game. He's dropping uh, him on a dime for left backs. I mean, he's created a lot of chances that way. Yeah, and, you know, I think... I think goals will start to come. Like he, like you said, he's creating chances for other people. He's moving the ball well, and he is increasingly getting on the end of chances as well. And I think that's kind of been the thing with Kane is like either he is playing striker and doing striker things like getting in a box and taking shots, or he's dropping back at the central circle and like spraying the ball around. And I think in the last couple of games, we've seen him do more of both. And that is really, I think, what what a, a peak Harry Kane is going to look like, is someone who can be an early out ball who launches the attack and then catches back up with the play and, and finishes it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I am still annoyed with Harry Kane, the person, so I'm like not inclined to be charitable to him missing easy chances because he scored one goal this season uh, in the Premier League. But if I am removing my personal vendetta from the equation, I guess I'd have to say that like we are seeing him become more of the Harry Kane we all knew and used to love. And uh, I don't know. Maybe he'll get double-digit goals this year. So, two things, Ben. First of all, we've got uh, Antonio Conte as our manager. It's Omerta now, not 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 just Vendetta. Um, second of all, uh, so keeping in mind that it would have been under Paratici and Nuno, do you still wish we? I mean, putting aside again your your Vendetta against Harry, but just on a, on the pitch and resources allocation perspective, do you are do you were do you think it's a missed opportunity that we didn't sell him considering that Conte wasn't here in the summer? I mean, would you rather have him under Conte now or would you rather have us have cashed in for Lautaro or someone in the summer, you know, assuming he was available? I mean, I think that's kind of part of the, the equation is right. It's like, could we have cashed in on him for Lautaro Martinez? If that's the case, then yeah. If we cashed in on him for, you know, Vlavic, do we even see Conte, you know, yeah. You've heard that Conte is very enamored of Harry Kane. He's a guy that he really liked when he was at Chelsea and and saw Kane kick an ass for Spurs. Um, and he was very impressed, apparently, by the fact that we held on to Kane. Right, if, and if we had sold Kane for Vlahovic or somebody else and who also wasn't performing this season, you know, maybe, maybe we don't end up with Conte. Maybe he looks at this team and he's like, yeah, this is not a squad worth managing. Or maybe the Harry Kane replacement is good enough that Nuno buys a little more time <laughs> and, you know, Conte ends up at Man U when they finally realize that Solskjaer sucks, you know? So it's hard to kind of time travel here and, and say what, what would have been the best move. I think if we're just looking at Harry Kane's performances, yes, I think probably selling him and reinvesting the money is good, but do I trust, you know, Nuno to be in charge of that? Do I trust Paratici even to be in charge of that decision? Not, not really, not yet for Paratici at least. Um, you know, and then we take everything else into consideration. We look good now. So, Hey, <laughs> I mean, I certainly like our chances better of selling Kane. If we have a manager like Conte who might attract, a, attract a better quality of player, if not like, directly be able to lead to that purchase. But I don't know. I think you're already seeing positive signs with Kane. And I think when you combine that with like, clearly there's fatigue from the Euros, clearly he's mentally exhausted from, you know, listening to his brother. Um, but it's, you know, it's, I don't know. It's, it's hard not to feel good about where all of this is going. 
um, including Harry Kane. Yeah, I mean, I like that he has, uh, you know, picked up on the shots, at least in the last few matches. Um, I, I wish he was scoring. Um, I guess I'm, that puts me firmly in Greg's dad's camp. Um, are you are you a, are you a dot? I thought I was the only dot on this podcast, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, maybe. Um, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I like Ben said, he's he's more involved. He's getting more shots. I think there are people that are a lot smarter than I am that are looking at the numbers and 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 the shot locations and everything, and they're confident that goals will come and will eventually result. Um, I, I guess I just have to put my faith in that he's not totally broken and that he will, you know, eventually start scoring again. Um, it now would be a good time to do it. Every time we've written Harry Kane off, or more importantly, Stats Twitter has written Harry Kane off, it's worth pointing out that Harry Kane has, like, come back and looked great. You know, now, I'm not sure he's ever going to be the player he was, but I think when we say that, we, like, also ignore that he could still be, like, one of the best strikers in the Premier League, if not the world. And, you know, as much as that's me being a homer saying that, like, we also have Antonio Conte. So if it's like, if that's going to happen, it's going to happen under him. So I like our chances with him, um, especially since he seems re-engaged, because I do think there is just a part of Harry Kane's lizard brain that wants to be, like, challenged by top football men. And as bad as that was that he thought Mourinho was still a top football man, like, there is a level at which he recognizes, like, there's not many managers better than Antonio Conte, and he's probably going to get the best out of me. So, you know, hopefully it works out. Hopefully Harry Kane ends up lifting a trophy to Spurs, which I find meaningless because he has killed my love for him. But I do get to watch Hunting Sun uh, lift a trophy for Spurs, which I will enjoy much more. So... Yeah, I don't Greg, know. What do you say to the fact that previously it was Stats Twitter writing off Harry Kane while everybody else was still on board? Now everybody else is writing off Kane, and Stats Twitter is, is the only one saying he's going to come back. You, uh, you either see, you either die young or live long enough to see yourself become a villain. You either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become a villain. I think twenty twenty one is a very weird time, but. All right. Statman Greg. Statman Greg, exactly. So, moving on from one problem at Tottenham Hotspur to a much bigger problem at Tottenham Hotspur. The entire squad has COVID. Uh, we fat, we knew last week that Brian, that other Brian uh, and uh, Emerson Royale had, were, had an illness. Um, we have I, Maybe it wasn't, but they now have COVID, so I think we can connect the dots. Um, now, apparently, like, eight players including them have covid plus a couple manager parts of managerial staff uh spurs were getting pretty incensed uh that they were having to play ren this thursday conte in particular was getting like in his press conference today was pretty furious about it because you know if you have to prepare your squad for ren that means you can't isolate people which means more people are getting covid as of today, Spurs, we're, so we're recording this just to be clear. We're in America recording this at about 10.30 on Wednesday night. It seems like it seems like this match is not going to happen tomorrow. Uh, Ren is being kind of difficult about it, but I, I honestly don't see a downside of this from a Spurs perspective. Either we have an excuse of why we're not playing in this competition and we have more time to train and get used to things under Conte, or we're just going to play this again at another date. But it is... I am shocked Ren is, like, making a fuss out of this, considering their, like, advancement is secure. Uh, this is even an issue, I think, is borderline insane. We are not the first people you're going to hear complain about this. We are not the last. But, you know, during a pandemic that UEFA isn't prioritizing the health of the players and giving Spurs some sort of leeway here is ridiculous. There's clearly a COVID outbreak happening at Tottenham. What needs to happen is they need to isolate everyone from one another so there's an outbreak can pass and people can't infect each other. And... I mean, they just took too long. Spurs had a training session today where someone may probably did get COVID that didn't have it before. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to say about I don't know if there's much discussion to be had about this, guys. But Yeah, I mean, I guess the thing that I find 
worrying or concerning were Conte's comments that, you know, yesterday they did a training session and after the training session, two more people are positive. And then they did a session today. And after the session today, one more person is positive. It's like, uh, all right, how are we testing these guys before the training sessions? Like, uh, I, that's, that's a little bit concerning to me. Um, you know, I am not surprised by UEFA's behavior and by, you know, Ren's objection to the game not going forward. I think that just, you know, UEFA wants money and Ren, you know, want the, the money they get for the game and also the coefficient points. And they're just trying to force UEFA's hand into, I don't know, making Spurs forfeit or something. Um because basically what 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 Ren have said in there, they've released their own official, you know, club announcement or whatever that's basically Spurs unilaterally have canceled this fixture. Um, and that UEFA hasn't said anything, and that uh, as far as Ren are aware, uh, Spurs have thirteen fit players, which is UEFA's rule. And so Ren are <laughs> for how, I don't know how they're gonna do it, but they said that they are going to go forward with playing the match. Ren's uh, I'm not sure how the they're group. gonna get into our stadium, but Ren's already do getting it. out of the group, right? Yeah, they're no, they're they're free. They're they're into the next round no matter what. So what the Man. two and a half UA, uh, UEFA coefficient points and half a million dollars, Greg, or a million pounds. You know. Jesus, I don't know. This this whole thing is just so unbelievably stupid. And it I mean, looked it has already traveled. Like they're in London, they're here for the game. You know, they're ready to play. Like, I understand that frustration. I get frustration, but, like, putting out a unilateral statement. I mean, I don't think any of us, like, and, and maybe this doesn't speak well of the conference league. If they just, if UEFA was like, look, just forfeit. Like, would anyone be upset if we were out of this competition? Especially with an excuse. No, I certainly wouldn't. I mean, look, I, I would like to win competitions and, you know we didn't really want to be in this competition. And so we kind of all talked ourselves into like, all right, if we're going to be in the shitty competition, we might as well at least win it. Like, so going out in the group stage doesn't feel great, even if it's going out because like we had a COVID outbreak. But then again, if we didn't have a COVID outbreak, we weren't guaranteed to go through anyway. Um, so, eh, you know, like it's not, it's not a great situation for us to be in. I think ultimately the pride that what's best for the club, what's best for us and our, our overall goals this season is that we drop out of this competition. Um, but that doesn't mean it's not going to suck on Twitter for a few weeks. Yeah. I'm just saying, if you're going to drop out of the conference league in the group stages, this is probably about the only way to do it. That you don't have to listen to a bunch of banter. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, obviously, we can fall back on the, the COVID outbreak. Um, but that's yeah, not I, what's important. What, what's important is that UEFA is just exacerbating a dangerous situation at Spurs. Like, they shouldn't be exposing each other to COVID anymore. It's ridiculous. Well, and it's it's not just Spurs in the Premier League, too. I mean, you know, Leicester without, what, something like seven players for their match against Napoli. Um you know, there, there's this is going to be whether this is because of the new variant or because just of stuff going on in Europe or, or, or England specifically. I don't know, but I, I feel like in the next few weeks, there are going to be a lot of clubs that are that are going to get hit hard by this. It's deeply stupid. And every time we think we're forgetting about the stupid pandemic. This shit happens. Hopefully it's not serious. Hopefully everyone at Spurs has recovered. It looks like, uh, as of, I don't think it's confirmed, but all the reporters are saying that Brighton's definitely not happening. We play again on Thursday against um, against uh, Leicester, and then we have Liverpool on the following Sunday. I wouldn't be shocked if uh, we don't play until we play Liverpool. I, would, I wouldn't be shocked if we don't play until the following, I think it's Wednesday we play... Uh, um, Wolves in the, I think it's Wolves in the um, League Cup. West Ham. West, West Ham. Ham. Sorry, sorry. Um, I would be shocked if we don't play Leicester. It'll be about ten days. I'll bet. I'll bet Leicester gets canceled too. Leicester's got an out- outbreak as well. I, I would, I would not be shocked if they don't cancel a few games. Sorry. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if they cancel a few games because I don't think 
Brighton's got a bunch of players out just injured. I don't think they're going to really care. I bet Leicester's in the same boat as us in terms of, like, they might not, you know, if they can play this game later, they might want to. Uh, you know, again, I don't like having a ton of games in hand, but I'd rather be playing them later in the year when the team isn't ravaged by COVID. I, I, I don't know what makes total sense. Now that Spurs aren't playing against Wren one way or the other, hopefully they can just isolate until, you know, everyone's better. Uh, it's just... It sucks, and it just, you know, every time we think we're out of this pandemic, it turns, you know, the world just reminds us that it's, everything's awful and we're not, so. And I think they've already said that they're closing down the training facility, at least for three days. For, for the first uh, team, at least, yeah, so. Yeah, so, so I mean, hopefully that that at least protects, you know, some of the other staff. Well, they've, um, I think they've already the told, club. yeah, non-essential staff to, like, yeah, don't come in, so. Yeah. So, this I should mean, have happened I, like two days ago. This should have, you know, they should have been shutting things down. Right, because, I mean, it's been rumored or, you know, on ITK and on Twitter that, you know, as of what, like Monday or Tuesday, people are saying like five people at Spurs have COVID. And then now, now we're at the point where it's, what, like eight players and five staff and, you know, it's, you know, I, I don't know. We, yeah, yeah they, we, I feel like we were slow to react um, if if all that stuff is true, I feel like we were slow to react. And then, you know, just based on Conte's comments, I'm concerned about what sort of testing procedures we implemented. Um, but hopefully now they're they're doing all the necessary stuff and, and and doing everything they can to protect everybody. It's it's ugh, I don't know. It's just exhausting. This whole pandemic is exhausting. I don't have a better word for it. On that note, I think it's time to wrap it up. We will be doing a show of some sort next week, and then hopefully we'll be back to talk about the holiday fixtures, which we are hopefully going to be playing in. Um, ben, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, well, you can find me on Twitter at ComradeUspurs. Brian, where can people find you on internets? You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. You can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. Sorry for the downer ending of the show. I promise we'll be uh, a little more upbeat next week when we're hopefully out of the pandemic or at least out of the the COVID outbreak portion of the season. Um, Yeah, so you can find me at Skipjack0079. Follow our show at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. For Ben, for Brian, and of course for Brett Rainbow, I have been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs.